It's impossible to talk about Eurovision during the 90s and not mention Ireland, because they were hosting it all the time and even showed us Mill Street, a place no one has been to since. Today, I have invited the lady who started this winning streak. Besides winning, she has come second and all in all participated nine times in her country's national final. Her career is long and extensive and still ongoing, and we will try to touch upon as much of it as possible and try to discover all the interesting things that have happened behind the scenes during all these years. This is the start of the third season of the podcast Eurovision Legends and in celebration of this we have an updated version of the jingle remixed by none other than Matt Stormby Eriksson and I consider myself a lucky little leprechaun to get the opportunity to make this podcast in general and this interview in particular. And as I stand waiting at Terminal 3 I ask myself why me? Take it away Stormby. Welcome to Eurovision Legends, Lady Linda Martin. Hello, Emil. How are you? I'm very good. And what an honor to have you here. You're very kind. That was a lovely intro. You should you should do that professionally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have named this show Eurovision Legends and refer to my guests as such. But in your case, I would go so far as to call you a Eurovision royalty. Oh, you're very kind. You're very kind. But I love it, you see. And not everybody has taken part in Eurovision and still loves it, but I do because it's been so good to me. And I've met so many lovely, lovely people over the years that I really, really look forward to Eurovision every year because I know the phone is going to be busy. I know I'll be busy doing interviews and this year in particular because we can't travel anywhere. It's just extra special to talk to you. So thank you. We have so much to talk about, and I think it's decent to begin with your newest single, titled It's Getting Better. Yeah, it's a very good title considering the circumstances we're in at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's a cover of Mama Cass, old hit from 1969. That's right, yeah, absolutely. What can you Um, tell us about your new single? Well, I recorded it last year, actually, before we went into lockdown. I was in studios in, in Birmingham in the UK, and it was one track from a new album, but we didn't get to finish the album, you see. Um, so anyway, I came home, went into lockdown, and then this year they eventually put the single out, mainly because the title is getting better. And it's just, it's flying all over the place. I know it's being played in Germany a lot at the moment. So it's just one of those things that happened. And is perfect and I love it and it seems to be getting a really really positive reaction from from the public as well which is lovely. Let's listen to the song. Come with the rockets, 
Published by Energize Records, and yeah. they are great guys who work with several artists from Eurovision. Uh, just to name a few, Nikki French and Sonia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Both friends. My Nikki French, in particular, is a very close friend, and we've been friends. Oh my God, about 14 years now, something like that. But um, I love Nikki. She's a fantastic singer. And Sonia, I haven't seen Sonia now for a good few years, but I know her as well. And Energize, the record company themselves, two fantastic guys, Gary and Dave, who do all the work themselves. Um, it, it's an incredible situation to be in because they're lovely people. They care about their artists. They put, they make sure that the records actually get out to the public, which is wonderful. Shall we go back in time to your first memory from watching the Eurovision Song Contest? Do you remember that? Oh, I do. I do. Um, another friend of mine had just won it, and that's the lovely Donna. Mm. And I remember at home watching the show, uh, she won. And I just I was I was literally just starting off a singing career at that time. And I remember saying, I want to win that contest. And that's really where my first memory of the, of the Eurovision. You always seem to be around when it comes to Eurovision and have actually participated in the Irish National Final no less than nine times. And many outside of... I don't think... I don't... Hold on, Emil. I don't think it was nine times. This this seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. So no, it wasn't. But I did partake in in different formats over the years and i just wanted to win the eurovision you know so it was as simple as that i was determined to do it and it took me a long time to get terminal three yeah and even after that that i just johnny i remember johnny logan saying to me i will write you another song and it will win the eurovision and i had to wait of course for eight years for that to happen but um true to his word he did and it's just great memories of eurovision great memories but I really was determined to win it. Yeah, and we love you for that, Linda. Oh, good, good. Because it's a fantastic platform. I mean, you don't suddenly be propelled into stardom or anything like that, but it's the most wonderful platform. When 300 million people see you perform at Eurovision, it's very easy to find work right across Europe. Yeah, exactly. For anybody, anybody with... Yes, and it's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, I've sung in front of kings and queens and presidents, and I've sung in most countries that actually partake in Eurovision. And it's been just the most wonderful thing ever happened to me. I believe many outside of Ireland might not know that you started to enter the contest already back in the 70s with your band Ships. Yeah. Can right. Shall we begin in 1976 when Red Hurley won a gigantic victory with his song When, but you and your band were the yes. runner-ups with the song We Can Fly. That's right. Well, hello, isn't it a lovely day, today, the sun is out, and the clouds have gone away, they're far away, you are the sunshine in my life. Shining light Oh, you Lift me 
that's 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 right. And Donna's brother had written We Can Fly. Oh. So there's another Eurovision connection. But I work a lot with Red Hurley. I really love him as a person and as a singer. He's an incredible singer. And we do a lot of work together. And we start again in October this year. I'm booked to work with him again. Killarney, which is way, way south, south of Ireland. And um, this seems to happen a lot, but I love working with him because he's such a nice guy and the audience love him as well. Super guy. But yes, I remember that very clearly. When will you come back to me? Release me, set me free. What do you remember from your first year in the national final? I remember I cried when we didn't win. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't cry after that because you just you just get sort of immune to the fact that you lose you lose contest but I remember crying and we we as a, a band were signed to Decca Records at that time and some of the Decca Record executives were in Dublin for the contest and I remember them basically just saying, Oh bugger that, you know, come on party anyway. And we ended up back in the hotel with them and consumed, as only the Irish can do, we consumed quite a bit of alcohol that night and just party. But I do remember crying. Was this the first time you tried out to compete? I mean, did you submit anything before? No, that was the first time. And I I personally had I, I personally hadn't submitted anything now. Like I said, this was Donna's brother who who wrote that particular song, We Can Fly. Yeah. With a second place, you were off to a good start and you follow it up mm. the year after with a fourth place. Do you remember the title of the song? Oh, oh, okay. No, I don't remember which one it was. It was titled Goodbye, Goodbye. Oh, now I remember. Yes. Now, funny enough, that was written by Red Hurley's brother. Oh. <laughs> It's all these Eurovision connections, but yes, it was written by his brother. Another The Swarbricks plus two or one that year. Yes. Uh, you and your bandmates didn't give up and competed for the third year in a row in 1978 with the song Happy Days. That's right, yeah, I remember that one. Was it obvious for you to return to the contest again? Not not obvious. It was just that it, just, it came up. You, you know, we got lucky that the song actually made the final, but it wasn't good enough to win. Now, thinking back on it, we obviously didn't win anyway, but it wasn't good enough. Again, you finished fourth, but far behind the winner, Colm Wilkinson, who won with a oh, landslide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a man is born to do one thing, and I was born to sing. And I must take the good times and the bad times that it brings. And I missed you in the morning, but most of all at night. And I couldn't stop the music, though I tried with all my mind. Singer. Yeah, and he later gave our Ireland our fifth place in Paris, 1978. 
Um, you didn't return to the contest again until 1982. Did ships yeah. grow tired of the contest or did the contest grow tired of ships? I think we just gave up on it, to be honest with you. Um, I wanted to try different things anyway, so it seemed an obvious progression, really. Yeah. The song you competed with in 1982 was titled Tissue of Lies. Oh, yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Emil, it was awful. Thinking back on it, it was an awful song. How can you say that you want it to be that way? I don't believe that the stories could ever be anything but fantasy to me. ended up lost with only two points yeah i'm not surprised i'm not surprised (laughs) but i think this is strange because you were a group to consider now and i assume that a measly last place wasn't what you had imagined for your comeback to the contest no no it was nobody imagines coming last you know but um looking back on it it just wasn't the right song wasn't good uh Especially since you had another huge hit that year, the cover of David's song, originally from the Kelly family. Yes, that was a huge hit now, a beautiful song. I have it somewhere around here, I have the single somewhere in the house, but that was the most beautiful song ever. I totally... Did you you like it? Yes, I love it, it. I love it. We we play it here. Everybody seemed to love it because we, it, it shot to the top of the charts. We were on every television show possible. It was just a massive hit here in Ireland. Massive hit. In 1983, you took part in another contest, the Castle Bar Song Contest, with a song written oh, yeah, by the yeah, Eurovision yeah. winner, Shay Healy. That's right. Who composed What's Another Year? A song called uh, Edge of the Universe. A beautiful song. Yeah. And Shay, Shay had written that as part of a musical. Oh, and okay. then he de- and then he decided to take the song out of the musical and put it into that contest. Now, Castlebar Song Contest in those days was a huge event, and people came from all over the world to take part in this song contest. It was really huge, and we had some of the biggest 
UK songwriters ever, like, um, oh God, I'm cooking Greenaway and people like that who wrote for Tom Jones and all sorts of things. And they used to come across. People mm -hmm. from Australia came across, Japan, everywhere. So it really was a huge contest in Irish terms. And I won it that year with Shay's song. I came back with a Brendan Graham song yeah. called Could I, If I Should Ever Lose Your Love. And I won it again. Yes, in 1988. Yeah. How did this change your life? It it changed because I was suddenly working on my own. I didn't have the band. Yeah. And that, that was something that I had to get used to because suddenly I was the person employing the musicians, hiring the equipment, hiring the van, doing everything. I didn't have anybody to fall back on. I just had a bunch of lovely musicians, but I had to do everything myself. But really, that was the start of uh, of me working on my own. It was a, it was a good move. And looking back, um, I should have done it a long time before that, but the time just wasn't right. The year after 1984, you participated as a solo artist in the national final, and it was an immediate success as you won and become the Irish participant in Luxembourg. Yeah. Why solo and how supportive were your old bandmates? Very supportive. Great. Because it, they they were the musicians, you see. It didn't affect them any way. If anything, it brought in more work for them. Yeah. So that was the first Eurovision adventure with Terminal 3 to the beautiful city of Luxembourg. And look, looking back on it, I was so naive, so green that I, I, I could have worked more. I could have done more media work, I think, looking back. But when, when the voting started to come through and we started to get 12 votes, I remember the shock. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But somebody said, a horse that, that leads at the beginning in a race doesn't win at the end. Mm -hmm. So something had to go wrong. And what went wrong, of course, was Portugal didn't vote for us at the end and, and we lost to the hair race. But my, my cousin, Uh, was working in a hotel in London at that time and a group of Portuguese tourists came in and he refused to deal with them. He just went up and said, you didn't vote for my sister. You can look after yourself. <laughs> and he, walked, he walked off and left them. But um, that's that, that's why we lost that year. And it was it was actually a very popular song. And I don't know if you realize it at the moment, but 37 years later, Terminal 3 has just been turned into a disco club song yeah. and it's it's up on YouTube at the moment with Matt Pop uh, doing his club sound disco mix thing and it sounds amazing. So it's in back in the clubs again. Yeah, and it's great and to be honest, I much more prefer the new version, but maybe that's because I'm a little bit younger. Yeah. Staring into space, searching through every face.
this I do like this version now. Some some of them, the uh, up tempo versions haven't been so nice, but this one in particular is fantastic. Yeah. You, the video that goes with it is amazing, amazing. Uh, the song was written by none other than the Eurovision winner Johnny Logan. Of how course. did the cooperation between the two of you start? Well, I'll tell you exactly how it started. Have you heard of Louis Walsh? Yes. Okay. Well, Louis managed myself and Johnny Logan. Okay, yeah. From the office in Dublin. Yeah. So when Johnny started writing songs, he kept saying, give that to Linda. And it wasn't until Terminal 3 came up that Johnny said, yeah, that one would actually be perfect for her. So we were out of the same office and we'd become friends and we're still very, very good friends. But that's how it came up. How did he present the song to you? He he gave it to me on a cassette. Okay. And he literally said a cassette, like people wouldn't know what you're talking about these days when you mention cassette. But but he said, go and have a listen to it. And I loved it. And in the original form, it was Johnny singing, actually. But in the original form, in the middle, there was a voice like... um, a loudspeaker announcing the arrival of the flight. You know the way you hear those those internet voices when you're in airports? Yeah, yeah. And you could hear it, you know, oh, flight's on time for Luxembourg or wherever it was going, one of those things anyway. So, but anyway, <laughs> by, the time, by the time we got to Luxembourg, that had been taken out and, um, and then the, that's the song. But people love it. It's incredible. You know, I think people like it better than Why Me? The participants of that year's national final were premiered to the public one per week on the Late Late Show in the weeks before the actual final. That's right. And in your case, this meant that you first presented Terminal 3 to the Irish viewers in a quite absurd context. Can you please tell me about this? No, what was what was that? Give me give me a hint. It was a debate about legal di- di- divorce in Ireland. <laughs> it was it was on the late late show. Yeah, that's that's and it was just that just happened to be on that night. God only knows what else was being talked about or interviewed or anything that night. And it just so happened that the song contest had a little part every week. And that was where I was in the middle of a divorce debate. So it was not, <laughs> nothing to do with me and nothing to do with the song. It just happened to be there. Preaching right. to priests about how to handle marriage breakdown. Well, let's see what the Holy Father said. I'm afraid that people like Alice Glenn have a very poor opinion of the Irish people. What man would want to take on and remarry a woman with seven children? Just let me get uh, get the next musical item in, and then we'll we'll come to you. And here to sing it is Linda Martin. This might be one of the most crazy things I've ever heard about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're not far wrong, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> it is not polite to talk about a lady's age, so I won't do that. But to, but to put things in perspective, you joined Chips already back in 1969. Did all these years of experience help you when you finally reached Eurovision in 1984? Oh, I think so. I think all the years of traveling to gigs all over the country... 
going through the hardships of vans breaking down, of nobody in the audience, all of those things, um, especially being on a stage and learning to talk to an audience and learning to deal with television cameras, all of that, you, you cannot do without it. And I, these days, I feel so sorry when young kids who've very few places really to get the experience, but they end up on something like uh, Pop Idol or uh, X Factor or something like that, and they win. And suddenly they're propelled into the spotlight with no experience except possibly singing in their bedroom. And you, you cannot do it. It's like every other profession. If, if you want to be a dentist, you have to train. If you want to be a plumber, you have to train. Yeah. So I, I just think that it was the best thing that could have happened to me all of those years of experience. It was just wonderful. And I was really very glad about it whenever we finally got to, to Malmo. Today, when we record this episode, it's 37 years ago on the day yeah. you stood there on the stage in Luxembourg. That's right. That's right. Does it feel distant? No, it feels like yesterday. Yes, that's, it's incredible. If you, if I didn't know the year, I'd have said, oh, so maybe, <clears throat> maybe about four or five years ago. Yeah. I was just, just brilliant. Fantastic. And I've great, I've great memories of the people of Luxembourg, and I've great memories of the hotel and everything. It was just, just a wonderful experience, and and I, I, I absorbed everything. And I remember saying to myself, now if I ever get the chance to come back, I'm going to do so much more work with the media. Yeah. So, and it's exactly what I did. Do you remember anything special that happened there? Maybe behind the scenes or anything else that you can share with us? No, no, nothing, nothing. No, I don't think anything special happened in Luxembourg. No, no, it was just a very enjoyable experience. And of course, in those days, you were only there for a week. Yeah, you you didn't go for the two weeks because it was no semi final or anything like that. No, I just remember loving the fact, of course, that there was an orchestra and that. Oh, I, I sorely miss the fact that there's no orchestra anymore in Eurovision. And I do get I do get that the up-tempo songs maybe need a, a track, a disco track or an upbeat track, you know. But I miss, for especially for ballads, I miss that beautiful orchestra. So I remember that. And of course, the stage was quite bare. They had the orchestra. There was the huge ship. Yeah. And they had smoke coming out of the nostrils of the dragon at the end of the ship, you know, but not much else. Oh, But it was just a, a we, lovely experience. Now we are in Malmö, right? Yeah, we're in yeah. Malmö. Okay. Can we go back to to uh, Luxembourg? Because I, yeah. we, we must talk about your stage outfit in white leather and with yeah. red hair you only find in a can. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> Who made your styling? There was a, a hairdresser here in Dublin. Her, her name was Jed. Yeah. And I never knew her surname. I, d I never knew it, but she came up with the idea and she just said, we have to try something different. And this new hair product had come out and um, you literally put it on your head. You left it there for a while. You rinsed it off. But the problem with it was that it drift, it sort of flaked off onto yeah. everything. Yeah, so my pillows, <laughs> my pillows were red. My hair dryer was red. Everything was red. But that's that's just where it came from. And then it worked. It worked because it was very noticeable. Um, I very few people had that color of hair then, yeah. um, and it worked. And especially with the white leather suit, it was just fantastic. I'm a hairdresser myself, and I must say, you, you? still look stunning. Thank you, thank you. If I say Vincent O'Neill, what do you say? Oh yes, oh Vincent O'Neill. Well, he he did the staging for um, for Terminal Three. Yeah, and Vincent had been trained by Lindsay Kemp, who trained David Bowie. 
Yeah. All in mime. Yes. So we we needed to do something with Terminal 3 and um, Shay Healy actually knew him and said, why don't you talk to Vincent and see could he come up with some mime movements that'd be a little bit different. So that's what we did. And he just came up with those few movements. But but even today, when I'm doing Terminal 3 on stage, the P, the, the diehard Eurovision fans do those movements with me. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's cute. It's really funny. Was every second choreographed to the smallest detail? It really, it really was from the opening when I turned around to the uh, the fly with me movements and everything, everything what really was. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some old interviews and you say in one of them that you didn't have the confidence to believe you would end up second and were very surprised and happy about it. But you were actually the bookmaker's favorite to win together with Italy. E per un istante ritorna la voglia di vivere a un'altra velocità. Passano ancora lenti treni per Oh, I remember Italy, yeah. Well, you see, I didn't know that because I wasn't paying very much attention to bookmakers or or the scorecards inside the auditorium. Um, I was surprised to end up second. Um, and was delighted, of course, no, I'm stupid saying that because of course you're disappointed when you come so close, but in actual fact, it, it was still a good, a good placing for me. Did you have any favorites among the songs? I liked Belle and the Devotions. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I thought, yeah, Love Games. Yeah. Isn't that right? Love Games. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, thought, I thought that was lovely. Yeah, I thought it was a great pop song, actually. Yeah. And the edgy singer Kit Rolf has been in this show and she's fantastic. Ah, right, okay, okay. I haven't seen them since now. I do hear about them. Yeah. But what what they happen to be doing in their individual lives and things like that. But um I I thought they were lovely and we, we sort of built up a good friendship at that time. What happened after this great result? For example, what was it like to fly back to Ireland? And where there are lots of people waiting for you at Terminal 3? Yeah, but there were, well, we don't have the Terminal 3 here, but there were lots of people waiting. I, I think the public were actually thrilled that we we had ended up second, but the work piled in. Like I said to you, if I'd won, I'd have been in Europe. Yep. But because I was second, I had so much work in Ireland. And then, believe it or not, I did start to actually move into Europe. Yeah. Which, which was fantastic. So, you know, once again, that platform of Eurovision, it worked for me. The year after, in 1985, RTE asked you to commentate the contest in Gothenburg. That's right, What yes. was that like? Nerve-wracking, because I hadn't done anything like that before. And because they're so precise with the timings, you've got to make sure you stop talking when the song starts and, and give your little bit of information about each artist, etc., etc. So it was a little bit nerve-wracking, to be honest. But at the end of the day, I did enjoy it. And I've ended up friends with um, Bobby Socks as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was nice. What do you remember from Gothenburg? Um, which we see now. I remember being cold, all right. I remember that much. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't remember that much from Gothenburg. Um, I was in rehearsals a lot and I had a lot of work to do backstage with the script. Yeah. So it wasn't as if I was 
free every day to do what I wanted, you know, so there was an awful lot of work involved in it. In 1986, two years after the victory in Ireland, you took part again in the pre-selection with a song titled If I Can Change Your Mind, composed by Sean Gerard, or as most of us know him, Johnny Logan. Yeah, yeah. Was the goal to win the whole shebang, or did you take part because you wanted to promote something? No, 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 he came up with a song. It was a nice song. I don't think it was a winning song looking back on it, but... Um, you know, there's always a chance, you just don't know. If I could change your mind If I could change the words of yesterday If I could feel tomorrow's far away If I could change the way that you feel now All the hurt would disappear somehow I know that I was wrong And soon you will be gone there's always a chance that you could win, um, but looking back, I don't remember anything special about the contest or anything like that. I think actually that was the year that Lovebug won, would I be right? Yes, you're right. Yes. They later yeah. got a fourth place in Berrigan. Yeah. Uh, did you ever record this song? No, I didn't. To be honest with you, I didn't. The year after that, Johnny Logan decided to sing his own song and made history, as we all know. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch him when he won? I did. I was working at a gig and I managed to get to um, a TV so as I could see see him winning. And then I had to go off and do the gig anyway because it was a late one. It was We were late on stage. But yes, I did manage to see it. In 1989, you were back for the seventh time with the banger, Here We Go. Oh, yes, 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 we changed the format. Yeah. yeah. And just just tried that and um that was liam riley's year wasn't it it was keeve Connolly and the missing passengers uh oh right okay i don't even remember that one no. to be truthful with you europe didn't understand a thing and awarded the train wreck an 18th yeah. place Yeah, no, I don't remember much about that now. I actually I actually thought the four of us worked well together and I actually liked that song as well. I thought it had a very sing-along effect with it, but, you know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think it is a banger. But did you record this song then? No, 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 no. Hmm. They, they were just um, songs for the contest, that's all. In 1990, you were back once again. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> what was it that drove you to return to the contest all these times? Were you chasing that Eurovision victory that you missed out yeah. in 1984? Yeah, I just wanted to win again. Yeah. I mean, put it put it this way. If, if you're a tennis player or a footballer and you, you don't score in your first match, what do you do? Do you give up? No, you don't. No. You keep coming back and back and back until you actually win. Yeah. 
I have so many questions regarding this entry. Your song was called All the People in the World. And it's yeah. kind of a kumbaya campfire sing-along song. Yes. Which was a yes. new type of song for you. It was because it was part of a four piece, you know, so it was a different format, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually liked it and I loved working with the people at that stage as well. And there's a good vibe going there. But I mean, it obviously did just it wasn't good enough. So tough. <laughs> <laughs> you also competed as Linda and friends. Who were these yes. friends? Well, now, which we say, um, da, 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 I can remember Colette, the girl, because I'm still in contact with her. The other two fellas, oh, Jesus, what were their names? Um, I can't even remember their names now, to be honest with you. But Colette was the blonde girl that was singing with me. But were these people just put together for this entry? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Not before, not after. No, strictly for the contest. finally arrived in 1992 and your yeah. splendid success which all of the listeners have been anticipating when and how did you first hear the song why me it, it was the same situation all over again johnny phoned me and he said remember i promised I'd, i'd have a winning song for you he says well i have it and it again it arrived <laughs> on a cassette yeah <laughs> and i remember um I was working that night, I was gigging that night, and I put it into the cassette deck in the car. And as I traveled, I just kept listening over and over and over again, and the same the whole way home. And I fell in love with the song then. I just adored it. I thought there was something magical about it. And we went into the studio, and Johnny wasn't happy with the the bridge, the middle eight. And we all went home from the studio that night. It's not that far from my house, and Johnny doesn't live that far from me either. And I was in bed and he rang me, get up, he says, I've thought what to do for the middle eight, get up and get back to the studios. And we all went back to the studios <laughs> in the middle of the night and finished it off. And he had sorted out the bridge for the middle. And I, I remember being absolutely wiped away by it. I thought it was beautiful. I thought all the words were beautiful. The music was gorgeous. The backing singers were fantastic. And then we had to think about what I was going to wear and we got that sorted out as well. And it, it I just had faith in that song to do well. I must stress that I never, ever thought I'm just going to win. But I knew I knew it would do well. The pre-selection was held in the Opera House in Cork on the 29th mm. of March and you won it comfortably. And a funny nerd fact is that you beat the band Lovebug big this time, who won over you in 1986. 
Ah, yeah, yeah, sure. So these these things happen, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, it was a fantastic evening, actually. But I had to go to work afterwards. I was actually doing a gig in Cork um, at about midnight. So we had to leave the, the opera house and get round to where the gig was. But it was it was fantastic. It was it was a popular song that won. Sometimes I watch you pass by my window And sometimes I watch you passing through my dreams And sometimes when I look at you You take my breath away Sometimes I try and understand your Choose to feel the way you feel about me And sometimes when I turn around And you're there like today I wanna say Why me? I look at you and I get to feel it by me The trip went to the country that you lost to in 1984, Sweden Yes. Please take us back to your memories from Malmö. Well, you see, I love Malmö. It's special for me. So when we went back, unfortunately, um, what do you say, we're in 92, and the hotel, I think the hotel is called the St. George's, would I be right? Maybe. I think it's something like that anyway. So we had a lovely hotel. The rehearsals all went very, very well. The orchestra was fantastic. We'd made a lot of friends through Eurovision connections at that point. And then the day we were going for the dress rehearsal, the boss left without me because I'm usually very, very punctual. In fact, I'm usually quite early. But for some reason that day, something went wrong. And when I came downstairs, the boss had gone. So I had to get a taxi out to the venue. And it it was just a little bit magical because Terry Wogan was there. Yeah. And I remember he came up to me and he said, um, I think you're going to win. He says, but the BBC pay me. So he says, I can't, I can't say that out loud. So we sort, we sort of went from one to the other. And then, um, Christian Clausen was the, um, the head of the EBU at that time. Yeah. And we, we went to the Monday night in the castle, uh, for the opening ceremony. And he came over to me and he said, I, th- I think you will win, Linda. And I thanked him, of course, and just went went on and enjoyed the party. But um, the vibes were good. Michael Ball was there, and I was worried about him because he he's a fantastic performer and he had a good song. One step, one step at a time. One step at a time. We ended up being great friends with him to this day and his backing singers because we just happened to be in the same uh, company all the time. On site, the United Kingdom with the singer Michael Ball, uh, Malta with Mary Spiteri and Ireland were the odds favourite to win. And during the week you were joined by Italy and Yugoslavia. Yeah. Uh, how aware were you of your chances? You said here before that Terry Bogan said he believed that you would mm. win. Yeah, um, I wasn't overconfident. 
Um, I didn't think we would do it in the end because Mary Spiteri had a very good song and so did Michael Ball. Um, I kept, I, I, in my head, Michael Ball was probably going to be the winner because he was so well known at that stage. But I was watching the scoreboards in the auditorium. You know that the fans put up? Yes. Then they they mark their scores. And there we were. It was Michael Ball, Mary Spiteri and me. And I just thought, you know, it's going, it's just going to be luck really on the night as to what's going to happen because it could be any one of those three people. When doing research for this episode, I came across an interview that Garrett Mulhall did with you oh, yeah, for Eurovision yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't you share with us what you called the Maltese singer? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we nicknames for everybody. And Irish people tend to do that. They yeah. do put nicknames on people. But um, Mary Spiteri, now she's a lovely lady, she's a lovely singer, and she had a really fantastic song. Yeah. But she was wearing a dress that was very dark at the bottom and it got lighter as it went up. Yeah. So we called her Rising Damp. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> it's just it's just fun. You know, there was no 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 uh, no sort of uh, malice intended or anything, but it was just I thought it was funny, actually. But like I said, she was lovely with a lovely song and she, she could have won. You know, it was just luck on the night. Yeah. To be honest, I sent this YouTube clip to some friends today because I was not sure what you said and we all thought you said, we, we, we Swedish guys thought you said the rising dough. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the rising damp. <laughs> Do you remember the other songs from 1992? Uh, not a lot of them, no. I, I don't, to be honest. Maybe if they were played, I'd say, oh, gee, of course I remember that one. But, you know, you're you're so absorbed with your own team and your own song that you're not really paying attention to anything that's not likely to win. Yeah. I was only a tiny brat at this time, and Eurovision 92 is the first year that I actually remember, and therefore oh. it has a special place for me. It oh, is also worth mentioning that I rewatched it over and over again until the VHS tape was curlier than the hair of Celine Dion in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about fluffy hair. Who made your styling? The hair was done by the a guy called Gary Kavanagh, who is a hairdresser in Dublin, a great friend of mine, actually. And he's done all of the Irish contestants from the very beginning. Hmm. Anybody in Eurovision for, you know, in fact, 90, put it this way, 99% of the heads he would have done for Eurovision. And uh, he, he was the one actually did it. And he traveled, Gary traveled to, uh, to Malmo with, with the team. And he was there backstage, did the hair and everything and did the, the backing singer's hair as well. Lovely guy. What can you tell us about the dress? Was it plush? The dress, it, first of all, it's grey. People think it's various other colours, but it's actually grey. And RTE wanted something special. And they, they sent a note out to the dress designers in Ireland and asked them to submit designs. Well, some of them were very beautiful, but I didn't fall in love with them. But this guy called Paul Moreland, he, he was actually a milliner in Dublin. 
Yeah. And he contacted Louis Walsh and he said, look, I think I could come up with something. And Louis literally said, well, why don't you and send it into RTE? And he came up with that design and RTE loved it. And so did I. So they had to find fabric and the fabric that he chose in the end, it's curtain fabric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. not a, it's not even dress fabric. Yeah. This stuff you could hang in your windows. It's a very heavy fabric. Um there's no uh, there's no stretch in it at all. Yeah. It's absolutely rigid. But anyway, it worked because everybody loved the dress and it hangs in a plastic bag in my wardrobe upstairs and I get requests. People say, well, we're, Linda, when you're coming to work, wherever it happens to be, would you bring the dress? Ooh. And sometimes the dress is on TV on its own. <laughs> it's just, especially women, they love to see that dress because it's, it's I think at this stage, it's, it's iconic. It's a, a beautiful, a beautiful piece of work. The reason that I'm asking is because when me and my family watched the competition, we realized that the fabric of your dress looked exactly the same as the fabric of our couch. <laughs> But I have a hunch that your there, dress there was you are. way more exclusive than that and easier than a sofa. <laughs> and there you go. Now, it was curtain fabric. It could have easily been hanging in your window. Uh. The voting process started off slowly for you with only a single point from Spain. That's right. Uh, followed by seven from Belgium and nothing from Israel. Yeah, there you go. And there's me who loves Israel and I've worked there extensively and I love it. But the the uh, during, I, I think one of the, the ad breaks, Johnny arrived backstage and I remember him walking down the, the green room area to me and he just said, the second side of the board are going to give you 12s. And he was right. Yeah, because in the end, it was very tight and exciting. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I mean, I knew I knew we'd won a couple of votes from the end, but you, you have to try and sit in your seat and pretend that you really don't care, that you're being very cool about it. But I mean, I could have danced on the table once I realized we couldn't be caught. So it was a great <laughs> feeling. What was your pulse during all of this? Well, I have a very slow pulse. Mm-hmm terribly slow so i but i imagine that night the blood pressure and everything was sore and by the way i was the only sober one in that green room <laughs> because it was extensive extensive alcohol drinking that night and you know people you're on a high and people are enjoying themselves and we're all talking together and it, it, because the drink was there we were all having a drink except me Yeah. So my backing singers and everybody else around me and they they've all been enjoying the drink and there's Linda sober as a judge. <laughs> But maybe maybe that's just as well. <laughs> Some Eurovision winners try to dist distance themselves from their winning songs and the same goes in other cont contests such as Idol and the X Factor. But you have fully embraced your victory and given a huge lot back to the Eurovision community over the years. Yeah, I totally love it. I, I just think it was so good to me that to give something back by staying in contact with the Eurovision um, fans um, is it, it's small price to pay. I love them. And they've been incredibly, incredibly loyal over the years. So, And I, I just love it. And I do understand what you're saying, that people sometimes distance themselves, but not me. No way. I mean, every time I get, I have to sing Why Me. I have to sing Terminal 3 as well. But every time I sing Why Me, you know, it's like you get shivery. It's it's like reliving that moment all over again. Yeah. Is it true that you basically spent six months following the victory living out of your suitcase? Yes, yes, it really is. Because the record company take over um, and you're literally promoting 
that song in any country and any TV show and any festival. And there's so many festivals in Europe. And that's literally what you do. I came home once a week and I'd repack the suitcase ready to leave. It was usually on a, um, a Saturday, no, Sunday morning. I came home, repacked the suitcase and I left on the Monday morning. Um, that's absolutely true. One day I worked in three countries and the guy had to hire a private plane and he took took myself and Louis from country to country to do the festivals. It's, it's madness, but it's fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm saying it's madness, but I was always used to working. Yeah. night after night after night so it was no hardship for me at all and except this time i'm in a co- i'm in a fancy limousine you know and i'm i'm in a fancy hotel everywhere and i remember saying to the record company there's no there's no reason why you should book suites and hotels for me because I, first of all i'm not there long enough to enjoy it and i'm not used to it so you you know the, the, there was a really nice things happened because because of Eurovision and I'll always always be grateful to the song the contest and the Eurovision fans. We didn't know it then, but your victory was the start of the most amazing streak that Eurovision has yeah. ever seen, with three more Irish victories over the following four years. Yeah, incredible, wasn't it? Yes. Definitely. And I've heard from many guests in this podcast who competed on Irish soil in these years that they had heard people within the Irish team say that they absolutely didn't want to win due to economic reasons. <laughs> But Irish guests like Emer Quinn staunchly yeah. refute this. Fake news. Because it is uh, one of those things where it is a sensational headline where people put out this float this idea and send it out like oh we can't afford the contest nobody wants it nobody wants to it's 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 a really cool story right it's simply not true no i don't i think that was the rumor mill yeah. um just just gossiping because the contests were sponsored so i know and i know it would have cost quite a few million to produce the every contest but telephone companies were sponsoring and i think the electricity company sponsored i can't remember exactly but but there was lots and lots of sponsorship No, it worked very well. And I remember Mill Street. Now, Mill Street is is a, a horse jumping arena in the south of Ireland. Yeah. And um, the nearest the nearest big town that you probably have heard of would be Killarney. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, anyway, Noel Duggan, the guy who owned the venue, he got in contact with politicians. He got in contact with anybody that would listen to him, especially RTE, to suggest that they bring the contest to Mill Street. Yeah. And he won in the end. He's a lovely man, really, really nice man. So he wanted to promote the whole thing, to open it up. And we went down to Mill Street by helicopter, thanks to Noel Dogan. And we traveled to Mill Street. And when I got there, there was a horse called Aaron saddled for me and ready to go into the ring. Okay. <laughs> and it was just, now he didn't give me the horse in the end. This was just to use while I was doing the opening, but it was just a fantastic place. Maybe may, the facilities, um, the facilities were fine, but um, maybe not as luxurious as what Eurovision entrance would be used to, but it worked. I mean, yeah. it worked because Neve won. Yeah. And all artists I have talked to in this podcast from 1993 
loved Mill Street. Yeah, there you go. It was just it was just the atmosphere. You see, you've got to remember that if if you get a good atmosphere, it works everywhere. Yeah. But if if you've got problems, then people get depressed and arguments start. But this just worked like magic. And like I said, Killarney. It's about 20 miles away on a little country road, but we were all in hotels in Killarney and it's a fantastic place to be in. Yeah. It's just a beautiful little town. The hotels were great and the parties were legendary. Uh, the victory in 1992 was your last yeah. participation in the contest. Uh, that makes nine times in total of which you you won two. Oh Jesus! And there's me telling you it wasn't okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, if you could choose a third song to have taken to Eurovision, which of your seven other songs would you pick? None. 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 No, they wouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't win. I wouldn't take any of them. No. No. And I'm, I'm, I, that sounds a bit harsh, but no, I just know that the standards, what the standards are like in Eurovision and what the European people actually like. So no, I, I wouldn't take any of them. Even though you stopped competing, in no way did you leave the contest behind because you have commentated, delivered the Irish points and on many occasions participated as a juror in the selection process for mm. the Irish in- entries. Yeah, I have. And gladly so. It's like I say, it's part of giving back. It's part of the association, and I, I actually like doing it. I mean, I've mentored Jedward. You know who Jedward are, of course. Absolutely. I men- mentored them yep. in Azerbaijan. And as it turned out, the, the, the head chef in the hotel that we were in was Irish. And by God, where we looked after the Irish delegation, we, we had every, oh my God, it was ferocious, but a lovely guy. But um, I've taken part and then I've worked. A lot of times when the Eurovision is taking place in whatever country, uh, that I'd be out there working for the week because there's always um, gigs, concerts in the Euro club and in the local theatres and things like that. So it's just fantastic. I love it. I know you were in the team that selected Waterline for Jedward. And, yes, and from yeah. hundreds of songs, you chose this song. Did the composers of the song tell you that it was a re- rejected song from the Swedish pre-selection Melody Festival and with the Eurovision participant Erik Sade on vocals? No, I didn't know that actually. And I, I'm still in contact with those two writers. Yeah. But no, no, they didn't mention that. But sure, you, you know, a lot, you, you hear a lot about that with particular songs that is that are doing the rounds. They reject it from one competition and then they win the next one. Yes. So it's just it's just it's just the taste of the people who are actually judging the songs on that particular day. Totally agree. But I still I still like Waterline. I, th- I still think it's a great song, actually. And that, well, let me tell you something, the water in that fountain wasn't heated, it was freezing. But what was it with the song Waterline that made you feel that it was the right song for Jedward? Oh my, well, it was the best. Yeah, of okay. what had been sent in, you see. So that's the way I felt about it. It was up-tempo. Um, I thought the Europeans would like it. Um, it suited the boys. The boys wouldn't have been able to do a big ballad. That would that wasn't their style at all. So I just actually thought this one, it's the best of a bad bunch. No, that's the wrong thing. It wasn't the best of a bad bunch. It was the best of what had been sent in that year. Do you have any theories as to why they didn't charm Europe with it as much as they had done with Lipstick the year before? 
No, I don't really know, to be honest with you. Maybe, maybe the Europeans had just gotten tired of them. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's luck on the night. Yeah. You could have, you, they could have sung that song next year in the contest and it could have won. You just don't know. Yeah. What was Baku, Baku like? Loved it. It was fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful place because it had been, uh, shall we say, decorated and changed for the for the Europeans coming in. But we were every delegation was given a BMW car as their transport for the two weeks. Mm -hmm. And we every delegation was also given a bus, a brand new bus to transport them from hotel to venue and anywhere else that we wanted to go. But we really, really were looked after very well. Lovely people. There's a lot of effort put into the contest. And I, I enjoyed my time there. Jedward um, bought two rabbits. Okay. <laughs> okay. And they brought them back to the hotel suite. And they call they called them Euro and Vision. <laughs> And of course, there was no cage for them. So the rabbits hopped and pooped all over the suite. <laughs> and um, I think there was a bit of a cleanup job needed at the end of our stay in the hotel. But uh, some somebody adopted the rabbits whenever we left anyway. But um, it was great, great, great fun. Did you meet your mother's idol, Engelbert Humperdinck? I did. I yeah. did meet him. Oh, he was lovely. His son was with him and his son, I think, manages him now. But he was an absolute gentleman. Yes, lovely guy. Oh, my mother was mad about him. Oh. If you love someone, follow your heart. Because love comes once if you're lucky enough. Since the turn of the century, Ireland had, has had a very little success in the contest and apart from Jedward yeah. and Brian Kennedy the results have been quite bad to be blunt. Can you speculate as to why? Yeah, I, it's easy. We we need to stick to the big ballads because that's that's what's done well for us in the past. And we need new young people to get experience and then go towards Eurovision. You, It's not the stage for a beginner. Yeah. It's too big. And I don't just mean the stage size itself. I'm talking about the 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 numbers of people in the audience, the the activity around the rehearsals, the uh, it's it's just way, way too big. And I'd love a situation here where young people could be back in variety shows, more television shows, cabarets, anything really to get the experience. And of course, it's probably like Malmo. There's probably not enough venues around the place to give a chance to a new person. And it's very, very difficult. So I think until we get into that sort of a situation with people, good looking young people that can sing and with good attitude, obviously, with some experience, we're not going to tempt the big songwriters like Brendan Graham and Johnny. We're not going to we're not going to tempt them back out again to give their songs, because put it this way, if you wrote, <clears throat> say you say you wrote um, the power of love for the for the sake of mentioning a song yeah. and you wanted it to win Eurovision, you're not going to give it to a young, inexperienced person. You're going to be looking for somebody 
that can get out on that stage and sell the song confidently. And it's it's the same here. So we we got to start taking it seriously again. I mean, I love what Sweden does with Eurovision. You have your quarterfinals, you have your semifinal and everything. It's a big deal. Yeah. Over here, we tend to put the song on in the middle of, in my case, like it was a divorce debate. But, but um, <laughs> you know, we, we, need, we need to actually start pushing it. Take it seriously because don't sneer at it either because there's room for every type of music in this world not everybody can be you too or whitney houston or whatever artist you want to think about there's room for everything and i think eurovision is important it's great for providing work it's a wonderful platform and until we we start to take that seriously i don't think we're going to come up with a winning song and it's going to have to be a ballad yeah when we were scheduling a time for this interview, I had to decline one of your suggested times since I had to take my dog to the vets. Yes, and from yeah. what I understand, you really love animals and said from an early age that you would like to work with them. Yes, absolutely. I always wanted to be a vet, but I got waylaid by show business. Just It was just one of those accidental things. I answered an ad. I was looking. I needed money, um, pocket money. My father was quite strict and I just wanted more pocket money. And I saw an ad in a paper there's a girl wanted to sing in a local band and I answered it and I got the job and I just fell into it really and of course I didn't finish my studies but animals and animal welfare is my passion music is my business but animals are my passion and I love them I mean I'm surrounded I have 12 dogs here at the oh house oh my god oh and most most of them are in the kitchen with me at the moment and they're all asleep yeah they're all very quiet. Now, some, if my doorbell rings or something like that, they go mental. But I live out in the countryside anyway, so there's plenty of room for them. And they're all rescues. So that's what, that's what I do in my spare time. I work within animal welfare, rescuing, rehabilitating, helping in any way possible. Oh, I'm shivering now. At the very beginning of this very long and lovely conversation, we spoke about Energize Records. Yeah. And apart from your new single, you have also published new versions of your Eurovision hits and covers of other Eurovision songs. Yes, yes. Shall we take a listen to some of these? just heard your versions of Carola 1983. Oh, oh, I, oh I love that song. Yeah. I love it. And Vicky Leandros from 1972. Yeah. Come what may. Après toi. Yeah. Have you done more? 
No, but it, when I mentioned the new album to you that we had to stop recording because of COVID, I was going to do... Um... Oh, what do you call... Oh, God. The... That's it, yeah. It went straight out of my head, the type. Yeah, because I know her. She's lovely. And that song, I think, is beautiful. So we were going to do that along with a bunch of other ones, um, other old pop songs and bring them up to date. Yeah. But that one in particular, I really, really like. Oh, wait, I tell you, we were actually going to do... Oh, that yeah. was that was on the list as well. Oh, have you already recorded them? Um, in, in, what, what do you mean, Emil? Have you recorded them already in a studio? Oh no, 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 no! I beg your pardon. No, okay. that with the backing tracks were done, and I was supposed to be going okay. to Birmingham, and then suddenly we we're in lockdown, so it didn't happen. Okay. This episode is released after Eurovision 2021, but recorded before. So if you make a prediction for the winner now, the listener can see if you were right. Are you up for that challenge? Well, well yes, but, but well, let me tell you something. I haven't heard... Um, no, I tell a lie. I've heard the Irish song, obviously, and I really do hope we do well. Yeah. I heard the UK song on television the other day. Yeah. And it, it was fine. It's a nice song and he sings very well. But apart from that, I haven't heard anything else. Mm, okay. But when I when I look when I look at the um the scoring, you know the way the countries put their scoring up at the moment? Yeah. The Eurovision the Eurovision people put their scoring up. And I see a lot of people are voting for Switzerland. Yes. But I, I haven't heard it, you see, so I, I can't make comment. But do you like it? Yeah, it's a beautiful song. And a great so is it, and a great singer, yeah. Is it a, is it a ballad? Yes, and in French. Oh, oh, well, French is beautiful when it's in song, yeah. So may, maybe I do, I'm only going, but like I say, with what they're voting for at the moment, and possibly that's going to win. But I'm no good to you because they, I haven't heard enough. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a pure delight. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I will now return to my non-royal mundane life as a queen while you continue to be the queen of Eurovision. <laughs> and thanks to you, my lovely listeners out there in the world. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with the queen of Eurovision and me, the court jester. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones on social media. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you wish to contact me, my mail is emilatslagervannerna.se and you find all information on the website eurovisionlegends.se It's been lovely talking to you. Look after yourself. I won't I won't see you at Eurovision this year, but possibly the year after we ah, will be there. Great, great. All looking right. forward. Take care of yourself. Yes, the same to you. All right then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.